Our first reading today comes from the book of Genesis. Then God said, let, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and to every bird in the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant of food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there it was evening, and there it was morning, the sixth day. The second reading comes from the book of Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the earth, to the end of the age. The word of the God of, <clears throat> for the people of God. Today's sermon is in three parts. One, my faith journey back to Knox. Two, what scripture and Christian confessions teach us about mission. And three, your role. I'm more than happy to talk with you further about anything I say here today, either at the mission fair immediately following this service or any time by appointment. First, I am so blessed to be here. Some of you know me, others know nothing about me, so I want to share a little bit of my background before I get into the readings and the scripture for today. I was born and raised in Cincinnati, being a child of this church from 1950 until 1968, when I left permanently. Just a little over 55 years ago, some of you may remember this, I don't know, I was one of three teenagers giving short sermons on Youth Sunday in the Knox pulpit. I talked about the racial issues at Withrow High School where I was a senior. And as I spoke, I saw at least six people get up and leave the sanctuary. I was so angry. On the way home with my mom, my dad, and my brother Bob, I told them that Christians were all hypocrites. I wanted nothing more to do with them. Of course, my parents were shocked. No arguments they made could dissuade me. And I moved on, first to college, and then to several other cities, pursuing a career in disability rights, advocacy, and consulting to nonprofits. I did not return to Knox until February of 1987, when my mother, Fran, had a sudden stroke. 
She was the beloved volunteer of charge of the nursery, and every parent at Knox knew her well. I met the Reverend Gordon Stewart when he came to visit my mother, and I had to admit, I was impressed with him. I also kept in touch with Jim and Lori Wonker, many of you know them, as they were the leaders of my youth group, Texas, when we were in high school. But it wasn't until I returned to care my, for my father in 1997 that my attitude and my thinking were rocked. My dad was a well-respected tenor in the choir. He sang under Dr. Rivers. He lived at the Marjorie P. Lee retirement community up the street, and he was declining in health with Parkinson's and dementia. When I came to visit, I realized no one was taking him to church. And church was probably the most important place in his life besides his home. Eventually, I moved back to Cincinnati to be with him, and I took him to church. But I have to acknowledge, and Meredith Flerlich knows this, I learned that no one, I didn't want anyone to talk to me, so I kept this protective space around me. It was like, just don't talk to me. One Sunday morning, in a sermon by Reverend Tina Alcorn, I was struck like a bolt of lightning. Her scripture and account of Isaac being saved from sacrifice by Abraham just, just rocked me. I didn't understand it, but I felt somehow emotionally involved and moved, even shocked. Like there was no true meaning for that scripture. For, I felt like there was meaning in that scripture for me. I just didn't understand it. And I just remember crying. I cried all that Sunday. I cried the next Monday. And then I went to meet with Tina and Tom York. 30 years after my quick departure, I was back. Tom and Tina counseled and supported me, supplying reading materials and sharing deep conversations about faith, God, and the role that Jesus Christ could play in my life. But it wasn't quite enough. So when my dad did die in 1999, I moved back to Chicago and attended McCormick Theological Seminary. After my ordination and serving two churches in Michigan, one was the same as Jana, I finally understood what a calling is. Now, I mean, look at that. I was 53 years old, and I now understood it. For me, it was to serve and to advocate for social change, just as Jesus modeled. It was a long journey with a 30-year gap in contact with the church, but I am proof positive that it is never impossible. There are many things that seminary taught me, but my most interesting classes were history and theology. I wanted to know so much, and those two types of classes helped me deepen my understanding. Why does the church do things the way it does? Where do these theological ideas come from? What does this scripture mean? What does it mean for our time? So my experience in seminary was profound and a luxury few can afford, but it is in the historical record and the recognition in many forms of God worship that helps us understand God's call. It was always there, even for me, for 50 years, I just didn't see it. Now I know and feel that God is always with me, no matter how hard I might turn away or doubt. So history and theology also offer us the traditional foundational concepts of mission. Obviously, mission was important to the birth and growth of the Christian faith, and mission in the early years of the church was solely consumed with acquiring converts to the faith, just like the Great Commission instructs. There are many who still believe that that is the sole purpose and goal of Christian mission. Yet historically, this type of mission has been more harmful than helpful. It was filled with attitudes that forced people into conversions, oppressed them, appropriated their cultural riches, 
and in some cases generated genocide, eliminating thousands of peoples from their lands and their communities. Mission today is far more respectful and thoughtful, at least I hope it is, and I know it is here at Knox because of the people I'm working with here. So our scripture readings today, which are the lectionary texts for Trinity Sunday, Genesis 1 and Matthew 28, they kind of give us the basis for mission in this century. We are reminded in Genesis 1 that God made us for a purpose. It takes hundreds of pages of Hebrew scripture and the New Testament to explore exactly what that means. But if one studies the world's religions, this sense of purpose among humankind is present in every one of them. We are here for a reason. In Christ's teachings, our purpose is to create heaven on earth. That's why he made disciples of his followers. And then Matthew 28 gives us the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Some feel that this scripture is really too narrow an interpretation, that it isn't just about bringing people to faith in Jesus. It's about doing as Jesus did serving and advocating for change with his disciples. But Matthew is the first of our four Gospels, and it's there primarily because it connects the new faith in Jesus as Christ with Israel's history and Hebrew traditions. It's also very good at instructing the church about what it should be and do. Think, Jesus had only been gone for 70 years. How do we help keep this faith alive? So in addition to the Genesis creation story, we have obviously other instructions from prophets in the Hebrew scriptures. And my favorite, I'm sure you've heard this, is Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. These are the words that create a total understanding of mission rooted in faith. Jesus lived by them, and he is our model as well as our spiritual inspiration. So the Talmud, which of course is from the Hebrew scriptures, expands our understanding of Micah's text. And I like this. I got this from Doug Duckett, wherever he is. <laughs> Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Many working in the church's mission field rely on Matthew 25 as their motivation. And if you didn't know this, Knox is a part of the Matthew 25 movement. These words are critical to our understanding as well. So listen for the words of our Lord from Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, thirsty gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king answers them, truly I tell you, 
Just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. The Presbyterian Church, otherwise known as the PCUSA, has a remarkable history of mission, especially in the fields of education and healthcare. Our church codifies key values and principles in creeds and confessions. I'm not gonna read all the creeds and confessions. I don't want you to get a little scared. They offer us an interpretation, however, of what these scriptures tell us, just to offer a few. This is Trinity Sunday, which means we're acknowledging the role of God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let me share with you what the PC USA Brief Statement of Faith in 1985 tells us about our belief in the Holy Spirit. We trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. The same spirit who inspired the prophets and apostles rules our faith and life in Christ through scripture, engages us through the word proclaimed, claims us in the waters of baptism, feeds us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation, and calls women and men to all ministries of the church. And here's the most important line. In a broken and fearful world, the spirit gives us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among peoples to Christ as our Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in church and culture, to hear the voices of people long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. The Confession of Belhar, which you may not know of, written in 1986, offers a glimpse of what believers must do when facing systemic injustice. Belhar was written by South Africans opposing apartheid, the system of laws separating people by race in South Africa from 1948 until 1994. This confession is also adopted by the PCUSA, and it states, we believe that God has entrusted the church with the message of reconciliation in and through Jesus Christ, that the church is called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that the church is called blessed because it is a peacemaker, and the church is witness both by word and deed to the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that God's life-giving word and spirit will enable the church to live in a new obedience, which can open new possibilities for life, for our society and our world. And again, perhaps the most important closing phrase, that the credibility of this message is seriously affected and its beneficial work obstructed when it is proclaimed in a land which professes to be Christian, but in which the enforced separation of people on a racial basis promotes and perpetuates alienation, hatred, and enmity. The great commission given by Jesus to his disciples and engages us in mission, it is a command to both serve and advocate for systems change. That's what brings about the true reconciliation through Christ that we seek. Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant churches have been known for centuries as merciful servants for individuals in need. We have been reluctant, however, to push for social change that benefits the least, the last, and the lost. When I arrived here last summer, I'm getting to your role here, just so you know, and I began to learn more about what Knox was doing in the mission field, I have to say I was extremely impressed. It seemed to me that the least, the last, and the lost were recognized here. That the Knox mission program is exemplary. We have almost 20 mission partners with whom we work and whom we fund. 
And to learn more about them, obviously, we're having the fair. How does this work? Third is our partner in Mission in East Westwood. IHN and Foundhouse houses homeless families. The mentoring program is changing young boys into young men. All of these things you can witness firsthand when you go to the fair. What we're doing now is important and we don't want to lose it, but we can do more. Our goal is broader than just providing service. We need to find ways to change our society so that all may live in it with peace, life, liberty, and justice. I believe we can expand mission by looking at several large challenges. So Jana mentioned this, at Knox, our guiding committee is called Mission and Social Concerns for a reason. While we support many local and global partners in the work they do, we must also examine carefully what we are doing that addresses those big challenges. The ones I'm thinking of in particular are racial justice, climate change, homelessness and food insecurity, criminal justice reform, and the elimination of gun violence. The impetus to address the racial injustice already has created a ministry here just a few years ago. But what else could we be doing that would implement necessary change? Whatever we can do in creating heaven on earth in Cincinnati, it is up to you. You, our congregation, and our visitors, our neighbors, and nearby churches, our coalitions in the city of Cincinnati, these are the things that will determine where we can make a difference. And that, to me, is the purpose of mission today. To live as Christ would have us live and to build that heavenly society so that all may thrive. You have a mission. It may not be clear to you now, but it will be in time. And Frederick Beekner, hopefully you've heard of him, famously stated, and I want you to listen to this carefully, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. In other words, your call to mission is where your internal passion meets the community's external need. The question for you personally is where and how can you fulfill that mission? I have to admit I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm old, I'm semi-retired, and when I decided to move back to Cincinnati where the cost of living is less than Chicago, I really didn't know what I would be doing. But through several conversations with Knox clergy and staff, my call became clear. And now I'm your parish associate for mission and racial justice. What a privilege, what a gift. I cannot imagine spending the last decades of my life in a more meaningful way. Collectively, we Presbyterians take that great commission seriously, whatever it costs us. My former pastor at Fourth Presbyterian Church said, sometimes it's hard to imagine, but God created you, and you have within you, no matter who you are, the very image of God, Genesis 1. The image of God in you is your dignity, your value, and your infinite worth, given to you by God, and no one can ever take it from you. I know it is God that calls you, no matter who you are, to be God's partner in perfecting and healing the world. Someone in racial justice once said to me, it's all about relationships. And that's true. Brian Stevenson, founder of Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, was here recently in Cincinnati, and he commented that we can't use mission to do our part. This is not about doing our part. We have to think about how are we allies with others in our efforts to improve life in Cincinnati. And that requires a physical proximity to those we might consider different from ourselves. 
The Reverend Gail Henderson Belsito, for those of you who heard her deliver the Tom York lecture, said exactly the same thing. That's why we go to Third Presbyterian Church. That's why we invite Third Presbyterian Church here. The more we know about each other and how society affects us where we live, the more prepared we are to be God's partner. So I look forward to hearing from you, your creativity, your passion, your sense of urgency about how you want to live your life of faith in God as God created you, as Jesus commissioned you to do. How do you want to be a disciple, God's partner? No matter what path you're called to take, we are here to support you, and I look forward to working with you on your discovery process. Amen.